0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Horseman's Podcast. We're on episode number three. Um, We've had some really great comments about it, so thank you all for listening. And please give us a little review if you get a moment. That would be, we'd really appreciate that. As always, uh, please like, subscribe, all the rest of the things that you can do with your podcasts. Uh, If you have a question that you would like to feature on the podcast, send that to Joe at joemidgleyhorsemanship.co.uk. Some of the questions, when I answer them, I'll refer back to certain videos that you can see on the thegoodhorsemanshipchannel.com. Okay, let's get started with question number one. Okay, our first question is from Danielle. And her question is, is it okay to keep riding in a pressure halter or should I change to something else? So a pressure halter, some people refer to rope halters as pressure halters. That's not strictly true. Um, so it could be a rope halter. It could be a be nice halter. It could be a dually halter. There's there's a lot of, dif- of different um, types of halters that Daniel could be referring to here. I'm I'm not sure exactly which one. Uh, she is using now my problem with this and like for anybody that knows me and knows how I start my young horses and stuff I start all my young horses in the rope halter for the first roughly two weeks it depends how long I've got the horse for but if I'm doing it exactly how I want to do it it's it's around two weeks before I've got everything done that I need in the halter which basically ridden is good lateral flexion a good one rein stop Um, and beginning to look at some vertical flexion but not too much Um, the horse should be walking trotting generally cantering as well in that time and feeling nice and free and forward before I move into the snaffle now the reason even even if I'm staying bitless with that horse you know I'm not a particularly pro or anti-bitless or anti-bit riding person you know half of my Uh, training is in a bitless bridle the other half is in a bitted bridle it's not um it's not exclusive um but the reason that i move out of the halter is because they're just not as fitted as any other kind of bridle so if you get a rope halter that fits correctly when you pull on it it's gonna have some movement okay because it's not meant to be tight to the face it's meant to have some give the problem then, when you're riding in it, obviously, it's fine at the beginning. It's fine for the horse understanding big movements. You know, you slide your hand down the rein, you put the pressure on it, they really feel that movement. It makes it really clear to them. But as you're looking at getting that more refined, that, well, there is no refinement to, to that bridle. As you want your communication to become more subtle, you need a bridle that is properly fitted that will allow the horse to feel the subtle movements. Okay, because even just while the horse is moving around, that halter is going to move a little bit on his face. So he's going to learn to shut off those little subtle movements. Now, that's fine at the very, very beginning because you're really clear in how you're how you're demonstrating, not demonstrating, how you're really guiding the horse through something. But as as the horse progresses, you want to you want to really start to see more subtlety. So if you were going bitless, I would move into a side pull. I'm not a fan of like the cross under bridles and stuff like that because as you pull on it, it restricts the jaw, okay, And then the horse might want to open their mouth in response to that, and you get a little bit of fight there. Also the pressure is underneath, so it often encourages a little bit of brace through the neck. Um, I'm sure that they, you know, if used with with accurate hands, I'm sure you could get a horse to be very successful in one of those. Obviously they have a lot of good reviews. However, for me, in the way that I work, I, I'm, I've never used one for a prolonged period of time because I don't like the action. I feel it's too restrictive and I'm not a fan. So I would just use a regular side pull. If you if you Google a side pull, you'll, you'll see what they look like. Um, and they are very good at making sense to the horse. As in, you put the pressure on, you take the pressure off, it releases. There's no crossing anywhere. There's no tightening anywhere it's essentially a well a better fitting halter which which is what i really like about it that from the rider's perspective you use normal reins so it starts to feel a little bit more normal to a rider and you can you can progress from there as i progress my horses i said that i do half of my program bitless and that's going into a western hackamore or a bosal that's not a bridle that i would ever recommend anybody use unless they are experienced with it um you know it, it takes a lot of experience to be able to work a horse in one of those without making them dull so that and it, and it is a more advanced bridle i i did some articles for a magazine recently uh, western horse uk and i was talking a lot in that uh, one of one of the three part series was on the hackamore and i was saying in that how it's very it, it, it's very easy to create problems, and because of that, I only use it on a horse that has completed about 75% of the program. Okay, a horse that is really moving off the legs well, is really soft, is really bendy, is really, you know, feel feeling really, really good. Starting to work on some more advanced maneuvers so that, you know, they have an understanding and they're not going to get dull. The, the reason I use it is the transition, kind of the tran- transition bridle from one to two-handed riding from 2 sorry, to one-handed riding um that's why i use that but i would not recommend that unless you're um you know you're 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 certain that that's the right thing for your horse um the as i say the side pull is great if if not then i would be going to the snaffle if you really you know you really want to stick to bitless riding i would go for the side pull it just you can have much more subtlety you can be a lot more clear and it will make a lot more sense to your horse. Okay, question number two is from Eve. And Eve says, when is the bow video going on the Good Horsemanship channel? Eve must be a member of the channel. I have tried, but I can't quite get him down on his knee. Well, Eve, the, the, um, it's a three-part series, actually. It's not just one video on teaching the bow. And that is out on the Good Horsemanship channel, on the Groundwork channel now. So you can go and watch that to your heart's content. Um, each video is split into, well, the series, sorry, is split into three videos. The first one is teaching the initial bow and getting the knee to the floor. The second is on maintaining that for a longer period of time. And the third is for refining the cue and making everything uh, that bit smoother. So the thing with the bow, you know, and, and you saying about getting him down there, The thing with the bow, the most important thing is not the knee, okay? And everybody thinks that it's the knee. You know, like you've said, you can't quite get him down on his knee. The reason that will be is because of his back feet, okay? When you're teaching a horse to bow, the most important thing is the back legs, okay? Where a horse is standing square, say, normally, if you pick their leg up and start pushing them back, even if they try to go down, they're not going to have nearly enough space between their front and back legs to be able to go right down and get their knee onto the floor. So in that first video, we talk a lot, and I'm I'm doing it with a pony um, that has never done it before, and I I use him through each part, and by the end of it, he's like I'm kind of standing next to him, and I just tap his foot uh, with my foot and then guide him down, and he goes into the bow, and I don't have to bend down. I don't have to pick his leg up, I don't have to lower him, anything like that, and he does it without his halter on. Um but in the first video, you know, he's never done it before and we start to introduce it. So you pick the leg up and you start to ask for the backup and you don't release them while you're asking for the backup. I mean it that's kind of the prerequisite for this, is that the horse already has a good backup because if they don't you're you're not gonna get anywhere. Um and when you're when you're asking, you don't release if they try and go down. Okay, most people do, and then the horse is trying to go down all the time, but what happens is they would have to fold themselves in half and it's just not possible. So you you start doing you start asking for the for the horse to move and you reward the back feet moving because when the back feet move that creates the space for the horse to move you know, bow into essentially. So remember when you're working with that it's the back feet that you've got to look at once you start getting the knee down you'll find that you won't have much trouble maintaining it be, as long as they have the space. Um, but as I say, I've detailed all of that in those videos at www.goodhorsemanshipchannel.com. So go take a look at that if you would like to see that in its, in its full. Okie dokie, question number three. Now this is uh, from someone that was anonymous, they didn't leave a, a name. And he or she says, when I'm working, my horse licks and chews a lot. Is this a good or bad thing? and that is a fantastic question because it's entirely context-based there is no right or wrong uh, answer to that so what i'm what i'm getting at there is the lick and chew shows understanding okay if we talk about the science of it when you when a horse does anything okay typically let's say they're in grazing mode let's call it grazing mode, they're out in the field, they're out, you know, this, this. let's take a wild horse for instance. They're out in the wild and they're in grazing mode, okay? They, they've found a particular area and the whole herd is grazing. Then, all of a sudden, a predator of some description jumps out of some trees and the entire herd goes and runs. Now, as that horse goes into flight mode, one of the first things that that happens is that the horse's body the blood is all diverted away from the stomach away from all the digestive system and straight to the legs to the working muscles okay because they're the ones that have to work quickly in order to get away a similar thing happens with us um not quite to the same degree um but we, you know we we kind of get it um you know like if you get nervous you get a really dry mouth and just the same as with a horse you know when when this happens and the blood diverts to the working muscles that one of the first things that stops and it's part of the digestive system is the saliva glands okay the saliva glands stop working in order to focus the horse's energy and and blood and everything on the muscles that are getting them out of there so from the shoulders down or the hips down basically um in order to get out when the horse escapes you know say the predator loses interest or another horse kicks it and it runs away or whatever doesn't matter and that horse kind of will keep moving along for a little while and then they they realize they're safe now they can go back to grazing the first thing that happens is that horse will get a little rush of saliva and then they start to kind of go lick and chew because they've they understand that they're safe again now when I said at the beginning that this is entirely context-based, that's because it, it's not necessarily good from the owner's point of view, okay? So, if you are working with a horse, for instance, you're in an arena, and you ask the horse to do a particular thing, and that horse doesn't like it, they get a little worried, digestive system stops working quite so hard. Obviously, this is why you don't, wouldn't feed a horse, you know, with, with hard feed immediately after you've worked them because the blood hasn't gone to the digestive system yet so the food that you would give them would sit in the stomach and is more likely to cause colic because it's not being broken down anyway um, if you are working with that horse and you ask something they don't like it too much digestive system shuts down or slows down i won't say it shuts down it just slows down and that horse rears hits you you fall on the floor they run away jump the fence and end up back in the field with their friends it would not be a surprise to start seeing that horse licking and chewing as soon as it got to its friends because it, the horse has figured out that's the safe place and that's what the, he needed to do in order to get back to his friends so but that that's pretty horrendous for for the owner at that point now if that person managed to keep themselves at a safe angle, the horse might try and rear and kick you or whatever, but you keep yourself safe, you manage to avoid that problem and then you you keep the pressure on and allow and the horse figures out right, that didn't work. I'll move away or I'll yield or I'll back up or whatever. whatever it is you're asking the horse to do, and they do it and you back off, you immediately take the pressure away and give that horse some breathing time, then you might see them lick and chew. Because it's the same feeling from their point of view. They got away from the danger. And that's the difference, I think, between a good and a bad horseman in terms of how they put uh, a situation over to a horse. If you allow a horse to find it, they're always going to be trained. Whereas if you show it to the horse, you always have to... Well, you always have to micromanage. You always have to show it to the horse because they need that reassurance i i try and just give the horse an avenue but they have to walk down it and that's the that's what i like so much about this way of of working with the horse is that they figure it out and it's ultimately their decision they're not doing it because i'm going to kick them they're not going to do it because i'm going to pull them or wave my stick or whatever they do it because i maintain enough pressure but not enough to where it would ever cause them any harm You know, and typically I'm not even touching them, especially if I'm using the stick or even if I'm using my legs. It's such a minimal amount that then they figure it out and it goes away. It would never damage the horse. So it's, it's their way of figuring it out. You can obviously, you could in theory do it and put a lot of pressure on to where it would damage the horse. It will get the same outcome, but it will get a very different mentality. Okay, you might get the horse to go from A to B, just the same, However, the horse won't feel the same in in their own mind. And then they're never going to trust you. They're never going to have confidence in you. And that's when you start to, to lose it a little bit. So the licking and chewing, look out for it because it's very important. And it really shows you when you're making changes in your horse. But just make sure that it happens after something positive. Okay, if it doesn't happen after something positive, then you've got some serious work to do, okay? Because that that shows a real understanding of whatever they just did, because they feel like that got the release. Sometimes horses have developed problems and, you know, that lick and chew, it's well past it, and by the time I get to seeing the horse, they don't lick and chew, because they're so certain that they've got to try and kick or run or barge or whatever, that that they're absolutely certain and they're obviously the hardest horses to work with because they are certain that they know how to get their release and it's because they've flattened that many people or they've kicked that many people or they've reared with that many people and and the person has always backed off obviously because they don't want to get injured but what that, what that says to the horse is this this is the behavior that I need in order to get my my reward and my time and ultimately get back to my to my field so be very very careful of that you will see less licking and chewing in older horses i won't even know i won't even say older horses in if if a horse has done dressage for 15 years you're unlikely to see licking and chewing from dressage yeah because that horse understands exactly what they're doing they've gone through all the movements there's nothing new in it it's the same process However, if you take that same horse and you go and start doing something else, then you might see the licking and chewing again. The more a horse does something, the less likely they are to lick and chew because it's not, they, they don't stop feeling safe at that point. And it, just because uh, when, you know, when the horse's digestive system slows down, it's not necessarily because they're terrified, but their body goes into that I-need-to-protect-myself state and that doesn't mean that they're in a bad state of mind. It doesn't mean that they're they're worried. It's just their body taking that precaution. okie dokie. question number four is from Leslie, and Leslie is in Texas. Uh, I believe this is the same Leslie that I met in my clinic in America last year. And her question is, I've been working from the Good Horsemanship channel to get my horse to the mountain block. We have a series on there called uh, Mountain Block Mastery in which you teach the horse that when you lift your arm up, they turn their body and move sideways and set themselves up for you to get on. Rather than you having to lead them up to the place and then get on the block, you can just get up on the block and they move themselves over. We've got loads of videos of that on our Facebook page that you can see. Uh, Anyway, sorry, uh, I can get him there, but when I go to get on, he moves away. Okay, now the, the first, the very, very, very first thing you need to check with that is saddles okay saddles and backs okay does your saddle fit is the horse's back okay all right because that that's the first thing is that i you know the first thing that i suspect is your foot goes in the stirrup some weight goes in the stirrup and that sits on a pressure point or the the back is already sore whatever and that's kind of making the horse go ouch i don't want to do that and and moves away if you've ruled out that then you can look at how you're mounting you know i've seen a lot of people and the way that they get on a horse is very heavy very cumbersome so they they kind of throw themselves on and then boom hit the saddle with their backside and it's just not a nice feeling for the horse it's not not necessarily painful it's just a bit jarring a bit of a shock okay that's another option another option is that like when i get on my horses you know, whether I'm starting them early on or if they've been ridden for 10 years, I get on their backs, I stay still, I flex both ways, and then off I go. And the reason that I do that is because then when I get on my horse's back, they're expecting to stand still and flex. So I never get the, the walking off habit. What can happen if you get on and immediately go, which a lot of people do, you know, if you're if you're heading out on a hack or, or you've only got half an hour to school them or whatever, you get on and off you go, warm up. The problem with that is that the horse will eventually anticipate the second your bum hits the saddle, you're going to walk off, which is fine until it starts getting to the point where you're not asking for it at all. And again, most people aren't too concerned about that, but then it becomes even more refined, you know, think of it like training any any exercise, it becomes even more refined to the point where your foot goes in the stirrup, you haven't even got on, and the horse is moving off. So the first thing that I would do, I would start getting on, as soon as he goes to move off, I would get him back, get him still, flex him, and then carry on. Each time he moves away, you know, try and keep him near the mountain block, and jump off onto the mountain block, or onto the ground if you're feeling limber enough um <laughs> but but yeah get get to where he expects to stand still okay and that's a big part of you know your horse's kind of learning patience you know it's really important i think that a horse has patience and he's got to expect to do that but the fact that you have that come here cue to the mountain block is going to make it so much easier because as soon as you're as soon as he walks away if he turns away from the block you can just bring him back in you don't have to get down and walk around if anybody has this problem and they don't have the come here cue the worst thing you can do is get down and walk around and set the horse up again i give you five seconds to figure out why you think that is you say it to yourself and then i'll i'll say why that's the problem Did you think? Did you get it? (laughs) The problem with that is as soon as the horse moves away you get down and take them away from the mountain block. Okay, It was you being up on the mountain block and getting on that was making the horse move anyway. So you're giving them the exact release that they need by walking them away from the mountain block. Even though they come back again you still give them that 5 seconds, 10 seconds, 15 seconds of not being set up and about to be mounted. So all that does to the horse is say right all i've got to do is move away and then you get down and i and i get to walk away from it oh and then i'll repeat that again And you're essentially reinforcing it every time so you the and that's why i use that method of getting the horse to set up at the mountain block is so that when i when i work with a horse even if they ever develop that problem of wanting to walk off i can just go and bring them straight back So I never have to get down and I don't offer that release until they stay nice and still. That's a really, really important part of that for me. Okay, the episode was a little bit shorter this time. Um, The questions were, were pretty straightforward, easy to answer. Episode four, I'll look for some longer, juicier questions so that we can really get stuck into that. I hope you've enjoyed um, my answers to these questions. As I often say, just because I've said it, it doesn't mean it's the gospel truth. It's just the way that I view things. Um, The beautiful thing about horsemanship is that everybody has their own take on it. Um, Something that I I talk about a lot is I don't like the religions, (laughs) as in the way that some people... devoted to one particular method of training okay and there's nothing against those trainers you know Pirelli, Clinton Anderson, Buck Brannerman, Chris Cox all the all the big names you know they have developed their way of doing things you know they're all different in how they do things they've developed their names by working with different people taking the bits that they like from one person and developing their own program that program that works for any one particular person, you know, my program I've got from working with some of those names, I wouldn't ever want anybody to follow exactly what I do all the time because not only have I have I found the things that work for me, they fit with my personality and they fit with the way that I live my life and how I view my horses and how I work with my horses and consequently it's my method it's my program there will be things that you would do that you that i would think no that's not right it's not that it's wrong it's just not how i would do it and there would be things that i do that i'm sure you would think no he should have put more pressure on no he shouldn't have put as much pressure on whatever you not everybody's going to agree with everything that i do so use your judgment get to where you know you you see what a person does and if you like it great if you don't you don't have to do it it's not it's not a problem um but no i i really appreciate you guys listening um this is just my take on some some issues that we get sent in um obviously i've got a lot of stuff online that you can go and take a look at there's the good horsemanship channel obviously we do the live question and answer sessions on a friday on the Joe Joe Midgley Horsemanship Facebook page. There's the free blog on the Good Horsemanship channel that anybody can listen to, uh, read, sorry. And obviously now there's the Horsemans podcast. So I really hope you've enjoyed it. Remember, if you have a question, send it to joe at horsemanship.co.uk and I will get that featured on the podcast at some point. And hopefully we will see you very, very soon. Come back and listen again. Bye.